you know, the pastor always goes into um, Mother's Day wondering what to do. Some just completely ignore it. Some say it's a made-up holiday. Why bother? Some say it's hard for some people to talk about Mother's Day. And some say celebrate it. But it hit me when I was in the shower on Wednesday that jumping back into, the Revel- into Revelation chapter 12, that I landed on the perfect Mother's Day text, as we will see in just a moment. But um, we come to a passage about battle, about war, about fighting. And in our world today, um, we don't know how to do this well. Um, We fight for the wrong reasons and we fight the wrong ways. And it isn't that the Bible um, is anti-war. I place all kinds of disclaimers on that as I say what I'm about to say. Um, The New Testament describes discipleship as a good soldier submitting uh, to his commanding officer. Um, Paul says as he got to the end of of his life, I fought the good fight. I kept the faith. Um, But that's a very different kind of battle than the way we see people fighting each other in the world today. Um, I have a friend, I could name him, but I won't, uh, who told me that whenever he got a flyer for the election this year in the mail, there were two things he looked for. One of them, those things I will not tell you, but the other thing said he would look over it and if there was anything on there like war, battle, or fight, he would normally just say, I'm not going to vote for this person because they probably are not fighting or warring or battling. That probably just means they're going to get elected and call people names. But anyway, um, it's a, the New Testament is full of soldier-type imagery. And so we can't leave it all out together. And then we get to Revelation, and there's just full-blown battles. And they're between angels and angels, and dragons, and bad angels and good angels. And even with the best movie scenes we have in mind, we probably can't imagine what these battles are about. Um, But what's important when we come to Revelation 12 is to see how the people who win, win. We already sang it, but now we're going to read it. Um, You might say there's two sets of victors, or we sang about two victors as we sang. And it's very important to keep them in mind, because when you get to Revelation 12, the the imagery is mind-blowing, and we almost need a program because you can't tell the players apart without one. And we'll get into who the players are and when this is happening and how this is happening. Um, but I want to read the, through the text in the New Living Translation because stories are just so good in the New Living Translation. I want to read through all 18 verses of Revelation 12, and, um, and then we'll just kind of go back through the text and talk about the when, the who, and the what. But... It's really important to see in this passage the worship and the celebration as well as the battle and then just kind of see how 
victory happens. So I'm going to read this through in New Living Translation, Revelation 12. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon between her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out in the pain of labor as she awaited her delivery. Didn't I tell you it was a great Mother's Day text? Are you with me, moms? Now you're really about to be with me. Suddenly I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns with seven crowns on his head. Heads. His tail dragged down one-third of the stars, which he threw to the earth. He stood before the woman as she was about to give birth to her child, ready to devour the baby as soon as it was born. Are you with me, ladies? Don't you hate it when that happens? Yeah, I lost you there, didn't I? Okay, that got crazy real quick. She gave birth to a boy who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. And the child was snatched away <coughs> sorry, from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to give her care for 1260 days. Then there was a war in heaven. Michael and the angels, under his command, fought the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle and was forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has happened at last. The salvation and power, and kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser has been thrown down to earth, the one who has accused our brothers and sisters before our God day and night. And they have defeated him because of the blood of the lamb and because of their testimony. And they were not afraid to die. Rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens, rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, and he knows that he has a little time. And when the dragon realized that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the child. But she was given two wings like those of a great eagle. This allowed her to fly to a place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be cared for and protected from the dragon for a time, times, and half a time. Then the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth, but the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. Then the dragon became angry at the woman and he declared war against the rest of her children all who keep God's commandments and confess that they belong to Jesus. Then he stood waiting on the shore of the sea. 
Let's talk about the when and the where and the who and the what. It's been a while since we were in Revelation, a few weeks at least, and we had scrolls and we had trumpets and then we had the, the trumpets ending and then we had this little scroll and then we had these two witnesses who witnessed and everybody hated them and then the seventh trumpet and the witnesses coming back to life and now we have this woman and this dragon before we get to more of these bowls on stuff being poured out. We get this kind of big parenthesis and what it seems like is happening um, is John is giving a vision of what was going on, if you will, behind the scenes when this previous stuff was happening because the loud voices from heaven are going to say the exact same things and some of the things you see were some of the things we saw then. And this is where it just gets tricky because when you ask questions like when, we know that we have in here days, and 1260 days, and we saw that before. Remember, we saw that he was measuring the temple, and he said, don't measure this courtyard of the Gentiles because the Gentiles are going to trample that, and it was the exact same number of days. So it sounds like the Jews are just going to, there's going to be this trampling that's going to happen where the Jews are, and now here we have this, and we'll come back to that in just a moment. So there's this overlap that's happening, but at the same so so... Um, There's stuff happening in heaven and there's stuff happening on earth and the stuff on earth is being measured in days. But at the same time, when you ask the question when and you're talking about heaven, how do you measure when when you're talking about somebody who lives outside of time? Like how does God measure when? Does God look at his Apple watch and say, yeah, we've got about an hour, right? I mean, we saw a text where there was silence for half an hour in heaven and I mean, how did that work? Did somebody have a watch, right? So, so in this text, there's, there's like someone giving birth and then stuff starts happening in heaven and then people get cast down back to earth and then there's these fight happening and it's like back and forth, back and forth and then there's time measured and then there's these things happening behind the scenes. And so it's the, the when question is a difficult one. But it seems as if what we're seeing is, and, and, and this is the other question we've been asking all the time, like, if this were not a vision, if you were not John, um, and, and it were just me or you, and we were standing there, would we say, oh, wow, look, a dragon. That's cool. Saw one of those in The Hobbit. Always wanted to see one in real life. Looky there, a dragon. Is that the same guy from the Garden of Eden? Who is this? He seems angry, right? Would we, would, we, would we have seen this with our physical eyes or is this one of those things like Ephesians 6 or in the Old Testament where, where God opens people's eyes to see what's going on behind the scenes that they couldn't just see with their physical eyeballs, right? And it seems that this is one of those kind of, John has a vision, which it says right there, a significant, great, gargantuan vision. I witnessed in heaven a significant event a large red dragon, seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns. And you notice something there. Anybody notice that the horns don't match the heads? There's a couple of extra horns. So, so it's like some of the heads are like unicorn heads, and a couple of them are like 
double. I don't know why I noticed things like that, but I did. Um, But there's a woman, there's a kid, and there's a dragon. And when you first start reading this text, your brain immediately goes to, oh, a woman, a baby, and the devil. This must be Mary and Jesus, and this must be what was going on behind the scenes when Herod was killing all those babies. But then you follow along, and you go, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. The baby gets snatched up, and that didn't happen. Well, wait a minute, they leave, and that, that happened. But then, and that starts getting tricky. Um, one thing we know for sure, two things we know for sure, the dragon is Satan or the devil or the accuser or the destroyer, whatever you want to call him. And we know that the baby is the one who will rule the nations, the Messiah. So those two we have, but this woman clothed with the sun, the moon beneath her feet, and I'm going to switch over to the one that I used all week, if you don't mind. Twelve stars and a crown, What's going on here? And if you know me, I will tell you, I read six different answers for who this woman is this week, and I'm not going to tell you any of them, but just the one I'm just going to go with, and uh, you guys can go pick up your books and figure out who else she could possibly be, but let's follow along who this might be, because remember, the first day we were in Revelation, what did we say? Hundreds of references to the, what we call the Old Testament in Revelation. And as we go through this text, we see things like um, this, this woman with crowns, and we see the, the 12 stars, and we see her being borne up on eagle's wings. And all of those things God uses to describe his people in even the Exodus. He says of his people Israel that how did you get through the desert? Well, you may think that you marched and I gave you food and stuff, but he also says, I bore you up like on eagle's wings, like a mother. In other words, I, I, I carried you through the desert. So there's this imagery here of God's people, because what does he say? Out of Israel, I will send my son. So there's kind of an Israel picture here, but then how does a nation give birth? birth to a child. So then we saw that God said, well, I'm going to protect my people during this time. So it's all just kind of really tricky. But we know this. The Messiah is coming, and the dragon hates it. And the dragon says, look what it says, she gave birth to a male child. Who will rule all the nations? not part of the nations, not one nation that happens to be his favorite, not most of the nations. He will rule all of the nations. Straight out of Psalm chapter 2, it says, The Lord in heaven laughs because the kings of all the nations think, oh, we're going to conquer this one. And he says, no, this is my son. Um, You can kiss him or you can be defeated. (laughs) And he's going to rule you with an iron scepter. And apparently this dragon knows this. Can you believe the dragon knows Bible verses? And the dragon's thinking, I'll just nip this in the bud. We're going to do some bud nipping. We're going to stop this. If I can kill him now, I won't have to worry about him growing up and ruling the nations. So it says the dragon was waiting, just waiting 
And as soon as this happened, it says, God caught the child up to his throne and the woman took off to a place that God had prepared where he took care of her for 1260 days, which is the same amount of time we saw in the previous chapter where the Gentiles were going to be trampling down Jerusalem. And then it says, so, so the woman's being taken care of, the people are being taken care of, the Messiah is caught up, the dragon is mad. So a war breaks out. It's Michael and his angels, there's teams, and Michael in your Old Testament is always like the patron angel of Israel. So his angels are fighting against the dragon, and his angels fight back. And if, if you take the stars of the heavens as his angels, it's like a third against two-thirds, which isn't a very fair fight. But I just, can you imagine like in the previous passages, we saw, what does it say, myriads of myriads of angels, like millions of them? And there's a fight? A war? Like what does this even look like? Like do they have weapons? Is this hand-to-hand combat? Like, like I think one of the best scenes in all moviedom is like the final battle scene in Avengers Endgame. Am I right? I mean, chill bumps, tears in the eyes on your left. What? Ah, right. The hole's opening up. The whole thing is just amazing. What is it like when millions of angels get in a war? Like, there's, there's no movie. This isn't like Gandalf coming on a horse, like with, right? This isn't this. I don't know. But the angels lose who are on the dragon's team. So, dragons lose. They're defeated, and it says, there's no place for you here in heaven. You don't get to hang out here. It says the dragon's thrown down. That ancient serpent called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. We know who he's talking about, right? Look at all these names. The devil, Satan, deceiver, the accuser, All of his angels are thrown down and it says, a loud voice says, now the salvation, the power, the kingdom of our God, the authority of his Christ have come, which is exactly what we read back a couple of chapters previous. Now the salvation has come, the authority of his Christ, the one who's going to rule with the iron rod. Listen, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He accuses them day and night before our God. He's always accusing. Always accusing. This is kind of, um, I imagine it's like a Job-like scene. You remember in Job, the accuser comes before God. He's been walking around. He's checking out Job. Job is blameless and upright, fear of God. And Job said, well, of course he is. Look how good you are to him. Look at this guy. He's got it all. Of course he loves you, God. (laughs) Who wouldn't? But I bet if you took that stuff away from him, he would curse you to your face. Okay, right. Then he comes back later. Yeah, but he's still got his health. Who doesn't praise the Lord when they've got their health? Okay, you can take that too, right? He's just this accusing dragon, deceiver, And he's defeated. 
And look what it says. This is, this is an interesting thing. Look at, the, look at the pronoun at the beginning of verse 11. Look, let your eyes follow down. Verse 11. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. They. Who's the they? Is this the angels? Are the angels washed by the blood of the lamb? Do the angels win by their testimony? Are the angels the ones accused? Do the angels have to make life and death decisions? That doesn't seem to be the case. It seems to be that what we have here is the description of the people that we saw in previous passages who are, what what did Jesus say? He says, um, you're like a grain of wheat that falls into the ground and dies. And because it dies, it grows up and it bears more fruit. He says that those who lose their lives will save it, and those who try to save their lives will lose it. So he says there's these people who say that they, I don't love my life so much that I'm just going to hang on to it, grip it tight, and I will avoid death at all cost. Now there's this, this group of people who say that it would be more important that I give my testimony about the blood of the Lamb in my life and die for it than cling to my life and be quiet about it. And he says, that is how the conquering happened. I don't claim to know how all this works, but somehow there's this incredible battle happening behind the scenes, and then there's just people who are obedient to Jesus. And they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, the angels, all those people around the throne, all those creatures we saw earlier. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. He knows his time is short. and He's been cast down. It's going to get bad, and we're going to see that. I've been saying it's going to get bad, and every week it's bad, and I keep saying it's going to get bad, and you're thinking, well, it's already bad. What do you mean it's going to get bad? It's because it's going to get badder. <laughs> He's calling the heavens to rejoice in this victory. The victory of the angels, the victory of the Son of God who will rule the nations, the victory of the kingdom the victory of the salvation and the power and the authority of Christ, but the victory of those who conquer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony because they do not love their lives so much that they shrink back from death. And when the dragon saw what had happened, now look what, remember, let's go back to the story, right? We're now with the dragon and the woman. The dragon chased after the kid. He didn't get the kid, so he goes back to chase the woman. Where did mom go? He pursues the woman, If I can't have the kid, I'll get mom. Look what happened. She's been given wings, if you will. She's flying away from the serpent into the wilderness to a place where God had prepared to take care of her for all this time. And it says, 
Somehow this serpent, we think of fire coming out of his mouth, but somehow he shoots water like a river. He's going to sweep her away. And the earth says, oh, no, you don't. And the earth opens up and all the water goes down this hole in the earth. Pretty cool move, right? Swallows the river up and the woman leaves. And I love the beginning of verse 17. And the dragon became furious. Everywhere the dragon goes, he gets beat. So he's angry. And it says he did this. Pay close attention here. He went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. On those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And then we're left with a cliffhanger. And he stood on the sand of the sea. So it ends with like, the credits are rolling, the music starts, and there's a dragon standing on the beach. Dun, dun, dun. And he's planning war against people who love and obey Jesus and keep his testimony and are holding on to their testimony. And these are people who don't love their lives so much that they shrink back from death. This angry, angry dragon couldn't defeat the Messiah, couldn't defeat the woman, that I'm just going after the people. So in the song we sang, Overcome, did you notice? Savior, worthy of honor and glory, worthy of all of our praise, you overcame. The first word of praise is to Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble. Take heart, I overcame this world. I died, I rose from the dead, I defeated the dragon, I defeated your accuser. Jesus overcame. Jesus will rule the nations. Jesus defeated death. He has the salvation. He is worthy of power. His is the kingdom. His is the authority. We don't talk about followers of Christ overcoming until we know that he overcame. So if we go back to those seven letters, you remember the seven letters? To local churches in John's day, right? And they're facing persecution from their government and from false believers and from cults and they're just getting it from all sides. You remember, he's writing to them. Let's not forget that there's a church in John's day who's reading this and they're having a really hard time. They need the reminder that Jesus is Lord of the nations. And what did he tell them over and over again? The overcomers will be rewarded. The overcomers will be rewarded. The overcomers will be rewarded. And they need to see this. You need to be reminded. It's going to get worse. But the overcomers will rule with them. And then there's the overcomers under the overcomer. Blood of the lamb. That's him. Remember? He's the lion and the lamb. We've got we to we highlight that. Moms. You remember... A mom giving birth. Is there a more vulnerable situation that you can think of? 
than a mom giving birth. That is, that is vulnerability. It's not like, stop what you're doing. <laughs> There's something bad happening. <laughs> we got to go fight. I'm sorry, I'm in the middle of giving birth, right? This is it. That's just a vulnerable, vulnerable situation. So a mom giving birth and a dragon shows up? What is a mom going to do in this situation? This is the picture of weakness. This is the picture, if you want to put it all together, biblically speaking, of Jesus coming into the world the first time to a young teenage mom, right? And a Herod who hated the fact And he comes into the world in vulnerability and weakness to a poor family praised by shepherds. And his second coming, it's known that he's connected to these Jews who are like scum of the earth people. Right? His power comes out of the beginning of vulnerability and weakness. He's worthy of power because he first embraced the weakness. So when they say, we conquered by the one who bled, and make sure we catch this, the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. In other words, we have a story to tell about the blood of the lamb in our life. In other words, the blood of the lamb isn't something that's over there that we heard about, and that happened back then. The blood of the lamb is something that's been applied to me and I can speak about it. That's the overcoming. That's the battle. That's where the victory is. Is the devil only an accuser whenever this is happening? It's obvious from Scripture that he's always been an accuser. So let's just finish with this idea. The devil is an accuser. Accusation after accusation. You saw it with Job. You see it in your life. And if I just may say so, I don't know that anyone in this room suffers from accusation more than anyone else. But maybe moms are somewhere near the top of the list. Do moms ever feel like they're good enough moms? No, they don't. Moms never feel like they're good enough moms. Always these accusations. I should have done that better. I should be doing this better. I'm not doing enough this. I'm not doing enough that. Ah, what about this? What about that? Right? These little accusations coming into your head. Right? But it's all of us. It's all of us. I'm not enough this. I'm not enough that. I did that. I did this. How you answer, how I answer accusation means everything. What are you going to do? Fight with him on his ground? Oh yeah, you didn't do this, this, and this, and you did this and this. What are you going to do? Come back and say, yeah, but I did do this, this, and this, and I did this pretty good, and you forgot about this good thing I did, and I think you're overstating the case on this bad thing. I'm better than you think I am. What are you, you just going to get in a fight with the accuser about who says who's the best, and your sin, and No, absolutely not. 
because you have the blood of the lamb in your testimony. Let him fight Jesus over you. Let the dragon fight Jesus and his army. Right? There's this, there's this scene in Pilgrim's Progress where um, Pilgrim has been in Palace Beautiful, and before he leaves, he, they tell him, you're going to be going into the Valley of Humiliation. And different things happen to different people in the Valley of Humiliation because some people need the humiliation more than others. It's kind of the way the story goes. Apparently, a Christian needed it more than that. So they give him the armor of God. So he's fully dressed in this armor that fits him perfectly. So he's dressed in the gospel of peace on his, on his feet. He's got the belt of truth. He's the breastplate of righteousness. He's got the, the helmet of salvation. He's got the shield of faith. He's got the sword of the spirit. He's fully dressed and he's slipping and sliding his way down the hill into the valley. And he gets down into the valley and he's not been there very long when this huge and horrible beast named Apollyon, do you remember him from several weeks ago, the destroyer in Revelation, says he had wings like a dragon, feet like a bear, fire and smoke, a mouth like a lion, and he's huge. And the first thing Christian thinks is, I better run. And then he remembers, wait a minute, they didn't put any armor on my back. The armor of God has no armor in the back. If I run, he will shoot his darts at me and I will be as sure as be dead. So the fight is on. And it says, Apollyon looked at Christian with contempt, total contempt, just like he was worse than nothing. And he starts throwing questions at him. And he says to Christian, I know where you're from. You used to live in my city. I know where you came from. And Christian says, you're right. That is where I'm from. I used to live in your city. And he says, but I did not like either your employment or your wages. So I left. <laughs> he says, my king offered me better. And Apollyon made him a deal. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll improve the employment and maybe improve the wages. And Christian refused. So then this fight starts happening and Apollyon picks him up and begins to accuse him. And in this long journey, all the times that Christian has slipped and fallen and done, done, done all these things where he's, he's fallen asleep on the path or gotten off the path or not trusted or fallen down and, and gotten despondent or hopeless or just gone the wrong way, Apollyon begins to remind him, yeah, there was this time you did this, and this time you did that, and all this time you did this. And all the times that Christian had been unfaithful in his journey, Apollyon brings him up, brings him up, and brings him up. And this is what Christian says to his accusation. This is so, so good. I love it. He says to him, all that you say is true. In fact, there is much more that you have left out. I'm worse than you say I am. <laughs> but the prince I serve and honor is merciful and willing to forgive. I have grieved, I have repented, and I have received full pardon. 
and Apollyon drops him. And the darts start flying, and Christian holds up his shield, and the darts hit the shield, and he's wounded, and the fight goes on for half a day. He brings out his sword, and he wounds Apollyon, and he quotes Romans 8, we are more than conquerors. And Apollyon flees. So let's finish with that. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? Or maybe your translation says, who will accuse God's elect? Now, two ways to answer that question. The first way would be, well, obviously lots of people and certainly the devil will accuse. He's the accuser. The other question is, nobody, because the next part says it is God who justifies In other words, it doesn't matter how much accusation comes, you're justified by God. So who's going to unjustify with all their accusation? Verse 34, who is to condemn? Who's going to condemn you? Who's going to bring so much accusation that they bring up something God didn't know about, that the blood of the Lamb didn't cover? Christ Jesus, the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. So when the accuser comes, you can say, you're right, I'm awful. Talk to him. Talk to him. See if there's anything he didn't bleed and die for. See if there's anything he doesn't intercede for. Because I'm not going to get in a match with you about how bad I am because I know how bad I am and I'm probably worse. And I've not been good enough to make up for it. But the one at the right hand of God is the one who bled and died and rose again. And he intercedes for me, so deal with him. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? Danger or sword? Is there going to be a fight? Is there going to be persecution? If we don't love our lives so much that we die, will that separate us? No. No. We'd be killed all day long. We're sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. So neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there is a fight. There is war. How do you fight? Is this like a tit for tat? You accuse me, I'll accuse you back. Is this a thing where you insult me, I insult you back? Is this, yeah, we'll just duke it out? No. I can respond to humans with meekness and humility because Jesus did that. I can respond to the accuser, Satan, with the blood of the lamb that has been applied to me in my testimony. Devil, may I remind you of my testimony? It goes like this. 
He will rule, and he will rule the nations. Satan is defeated. The battle rages, but he is the defeated foe. He is a dragon, but his bite, I don't know if it's toothless, but there's no venom. (laughs) There's an old hymn, Arise, my soul, arise, shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice on thy behalf appears. Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. Whatever guilty fears you have this morning, your assurance isn't in your ability ability to outdo Satan's accusation. Your assurance is in the one who stands before the throne on your behalf. How do you handle accusation? You don't. You let Jesus handle it. Blood of the Lamb, the word of your testimony. Then you're free to risk like the people in the story risked because the worst thing they can do is kills you. (laughs) To the early church, to the people in this story, Jesus will reign wherever the sun Another old hymn, does its successive journeys run? His kingdom spread from shore to shore, or moon rise to set no more. Will you pray with me? Lord, um, I have zero doubt that my brothers and sisters in this room can sometimes just get beat down and beat down and beat down by the accusations of the evil one. That the dragon can whisper in their ear um, so many awful accusations. Lord, I hear it. My brothers and sisters hear it. Um, We do not wage war the way this world wages war. We know that there's a battle going on behind the scenes. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And I, I I make no claim to understand other battles that are going on right now. But I know this, that you've given us an armor where our feet are shod in the gospel of the readiness of the gospel of peace so we can walk in peace. And we have a breastplate of righteousness that is not our own, it's the righteousness of Christ. Our heart is protected We have the helmet of salvation on our heads. We have the shield of faith. We have the belt of truth holding it all together. We have the shield of faith to extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. And we have your word to speak. So Lord, when we are feeling beat down by the accuser of our souls, by the accuser of our hearts, by the accuser of our lives, pray, God, that we would just run to the Lamb who died and rose again. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. Lord, I I pray that we truly would, if there's anyone in this room who does not have a testimony that the blood of the Lamb has washed them clean, that 
the Lamb has died and bled on their behalf, and that the righteous one stands before the, the judge and stands before the throne on their behalf right now, that they stand uncondemned and righteous before God. If there's anyone in this room who, who does not know that they have that, that testimony, that that right now, by faith in Jesus Christ, by faith in the blood of the Lamb, could become their testimony, whether they're right now in this room or they're watching online, that that could become their testimony, that they could say from this moment forward, that's my story, that's my song. I have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. He has washed me clean from my sin, and from this day forward, that will answer every accusation. There is no condemnation in Christ, God. May you be trusted by everyone in this room. May you be trusted by everyone watching online. And may that be how my brothers and sisters go through the rest of this day and the rest of this week as conquerors in Christ. And may we be the ones who do not love our lives so much that we shrink back. May we live lives of courage and service and love. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.